your what the the whole statement your fear is getting in the way you are the one that's getting in your way is a statement that we all hear and everybody says i know everybody thinks that they know how much their fear is getting in the way but the reality is that they don't know how much it is because if they truly knew then they would not be making the decisions that they're making and so that is the biggest blind spot that I see. And that's the thing that I help them see, which is what coaches do. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Build Your Book podcast. This is your host, Aaron Bear and Neville Tank. Every week, we bring to you stories about the legal profession to help lawyers build a better book of business, a better practice, and a better life. Let's get started. All right, everybody, we're back at the Build Your Book podcast, and I'm so excited. We've got our first guest on the podcast, and it's none other than Angela Han, who, if you don't know her, you probably should. We we got introduced, I think, like most, most people during the pandemic, through LinkedIn, at Never Met in Real Life, had tons of online interactions, and she is doing so many interesting things, none of which are in your standard way as a lawyer, and we figured there was nobody better than Angela to have on as our first guest. So welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you so much, Aaron. All right, so I want to start a little bit about you. I mean, right now, you are a mother of a toddler. You host a podcast. You are a life coach. You are an in-house lawyer. You are doing fitness stuff. You are doing so many different things. But I want to maybe take a step back. What were things looking like for you maybe two or three years ago? And even before that, what was your journey sort of out of law school? Maybe walk everyone through uh, who's listening through that because they may not know uh, your story. Yeah, so two or three years ago, I was right in the beginning of starting my business. I was thinking, you know, I need to, I need to build a business somehow. I need to, I want to do something outside of the law because, because I, I came out of law school jobless and I felt unworthy, unwanted by pretty much every employer out there. There was one that was very gracious. It was a government agency that hired me. And I realized it was an, it was based on education. I thought I wanted to do it because I was a teacher before law school, but I realized that teaching and practicing education law are two different things. And so I was kind of on a journey where, okay, I need to find my passion. Everybody's talking about it. I feel like maybe a passion, having a passion will make me feel better. I don't know. And so I was like watching YouTube videos um, out, out, the, out the behind. And then I was like trying to think about, what does a passion actually look look like and what is my passion? And one of the videos was saying that you can find your passion through your biggest pain. And so I just thought about the culture shock that I experienced coming to the States for college um, years ago and how I experienced bulimia for seven years after that. And so I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I get into that? Why don't I get into healthcare, maybe go into healthcare law? And while I do that, maybe I can kind of interact with people directly um in the healthcare space and let me start with being a personal trainer so i got certified walked into the nearest gym i said hire me and i badgered them for you know weeks on end until they actually did hire me but then i had to move away a few months later because of this new healthcare job that i had and so i started just putting up my stuff on on um on thumbtack it's this place where you can put your stuff on and hire contractors and so i had people come in to my house. I was a personal trainer for a bunch of people. And then I saw that, well, I actually really like working with lawyers. And so why don't I kind of go from there? And so that's sort of the short of where I was a couple of years ago. Got it. And Dowell, I know you had an experience too with Culture Shock. You're, you're in the US now. We met in business school in Canada, but you're, you're not from either of those places originally, right? That's right. I was I was born and raised in India. I moved to to Canada at a, at a like in my in my tweens, I guess, and uh, it was a bit of a culture shock for me as well. And I, I totally relate to what you're saying that uh, the way things are done here, especially if you're an immigrant, especially if you look a lot different than everyone else, there's this pressure, there's this uh, expectation to wanting to fit in, and at the same time, you do feel different. Uh, and I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of the clients that we work with, um, go through the exact same thing. Um, you know, I'm really curious what gave you the courage to uh, re-embrace that that playfulness, that curiosity, and and you know, was it was it like a relative? Was it a parent? Was it or was it just you who gave yourself permission to be like, well, you know what? 
I'm going to put the brakes on this and, and uh, you know, I'm going to stop pretending to be someone I'm not. And I'm going to start being who I really am. You know, what was that process like? How did you think about it? Um, I, I definitely suppressed a lot of the playfulness and the curiosity in the beginning, especially because I was the youngest. Um, there was like part of it, part of it was that I, I was given the permission to, to be playful and curious and all of those things. But on the other hand, I also had to, I also felt like the most behind. And so I felt like I needed to catch up with everybody else, act like, act like an adult and be make as much progress as all the other people in my family and people who are years ahead of me and so there was kind of like this sort of pull, two contradicting pulling forces and i think at the end of the day like when i first started my business it was really there there really was no playfulness there was just a lot of uh drudgery because, because i was just in a place where i have to do something and I feel like I have no other option but to do something outside of the law because I was I was not finding the fulfillment that I was looking for. I felt like I was behind a screen and I was behind a lot of walls. I couldn't really interact with anybody in the community directly. And so I, I needed to have that for myself. And my salary was below market average. And I felt like that that bubble that I was in, where if you go to law school, you're going to make a lot of money, that was shattered. And so both on, in terms of like, I want to make money and I also want to have fun doing it. And I feel like I just have no other option but to do it. And that's how I got started. Which is such a such an interesting story there for sure, in, in the sense of, you know, you felt like you had no other choice. And in some ways, I guess that can be helpful because it spurs you into action. But I'm guessing for a lot of people, you know, they're they're in a position where they sort of aren't being forced to do it in the same way, but they're sitting there just like you were, you know, feeling unfulfilled, feeling unhappy. And I know you do a lot of coaching with clients, you know, as part of your life coaching business, which I think you've, has been a booming business for you. Like, I'm curious, like, what do you tell your clients in those positions? Because I'm sure a lot of them, whether they're lawyers or not, are not fulfilled or, or there's something they're missing. And that's why they're probably coming to you. Yeah, I think there's two very simple steps. One is to know what you want and two is to go go get it. <laughs> and a lot of the times we tend to overcomplicate it because we we are used to it. We are used to overcomplicating things. We're used to having convoluted answers. We're used to saying it depends to all of our clients. And so we believe that when it comes to finding answers for ourselves, it's very much complicated. And so that keeps us from getting started at all. That keeps us from finding out what we really want. That's the first step. And the reason, another reason that we are kind of unclear about what we want is that we're also used to having the right answers, not just the answers, but the right ones. And so we feel like I need to, when I, when it comes to my life and when it comes to figuring out what I want to do with my life, I need to know exactly what I want to do. But frankly, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Right. When you, when you look at pretty much everybody and uh, everybody you look up to, they very, 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 very few people ended up there in a linear way. I mean, for me, for at least, I started out as a teacher and then I went to law school and then I was in education law and then I went to healthcare. And then I also started as a personal trainer. I thought I was gonna do that. And then I transitioned to health coaching and then now life coaching. And so I think it's, people are afraid to get into it because they feel like they need to have the right answer from the beginning. But if you're going into it simply curious and wanting to experiment with everything that's within you, then there's nothing to be afraid anymore. That's such an interesting point about using the very tools that you're not experiencing right now, the playfulness, your curiosity, and kind of feeling things out. Is that is that the right process that anyone should take? You know, how, you know, what's what's like an exercise look like that you do with a client where they're coming to you and they're saying, well, I don't actually know what I want. I've So many people have told me what to do and their voices are so much louder in my head than my own. Yeah, I think the the biggest reason that anyone gets stuck on anywhere is that they feel like they need the answers, not just the right answers, but the right answers right now. And even if they do know the answers, they need to get the results right now. And so when we are in a rush, that's that's uh, like at the deeper level, it's our ego. Our ego has been trained to always get everything ASAP. 
And so when we are in that energy of like trying to get to where we want to be as soon as possible, then we're ignoring everything else that can clue us in to the right answers. And so we're actually resisting the results that we actually want. And so the exercise that you're asking about what can we do right now is like, don't do anything. Be in yourself right now. Um, today's today's a Saturday. And so what 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 do you want to what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Like, do you want to be the kind of person? who is like, who is sad because something, um, something bad happened yesterday and you just want to be in that sadness. Like, please go ahead and do that. Or if you want to be the kind of person who really wants to be inspired by other people, then that's what you will do. You will go out and talk to people. You go, um, um, talk to the people that you want to be inspired by and look at content online or whatever, whatever you decide to be, your actions will follow. And there's no one thing or one right answer that you need to know right now as an exercise uh, to get to where you want to be. So what, what you're in some way saying is find that stillness so that this voice within you can, can actually speak up and be like, well, you know, today what I really want to be is um, a father. Today what I want to be is a good husband. Today what I want to be is um, someone who's making an impact. Whatever that might be, you do need some stillness there in order for that voice to come up and then to really follow that voice. That is correct, exactly. So, you know, the, 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 go ahead, Aaron. No, no, no. Uh, so what I was going to say, Angela, is, you know, you you started doing a lot of things. I mean, I, I think I remember earlier in the pandemic, you were, uh, you know, doing these weekly uh, exercise things for lawyers. You were hosting like a Zoom thing. And then we were doing something on Circle later. Like you created this little mini community. You've started so many little initiatives. You're clearly, you know, comfortable experimenting right now, trying new things. And if they don't work out, they don't work out. Was it always like that for you or when you were starting out? whether it was the podcast or the coaching, like, did you believe in yourself or how did you, how did you keep persevering? Yeah, I think that it's, it's not a perfect art, but it's, it is an art where you get to, like, it's always, it's always a practice about listening to your intuition because there's always two voices. There's the fear and there's the intuition and they're always competing to, uh, against each other. The fear is always telling you, okay, like if this fails, then you're a failure. If you can't do this right, then you're not right. And then the intuition is is kind of like the voice that might not always make sense, but is always like egging, <laughs> egging at you, telling you, actually, this is this is something that's gonna be aligned with you, even if it doesn't make sense. And so I I take a lot of action um and just put stuff out there uh in terms of of gathering information because I can, I can get coached. I can research and I can look up videos and content or whatever on how other people do certain things, but I will never know what kind of results that will get me unless I actually do it myself. And so I, 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 it's like, at this point, it's not really a risk anymore. It's really just an information gathering process. And so I go ahead and do that. And it, like when they're like, when they're like, it's like when it's like small experiments, it's an information gathering process. But when it's like bigger stuff, like my podcast, for example, like I really, like I was saying earlier, I had to be in my feelings. I had to be in my thoughts. And then I had to sit there and listen to both my fear and both my intuition and think about, okay, what is stronger at me right now? What is stronger to me? What do I feel more strongly right now? And then I, and then I just kind of pick that path. And then the thing is, we don't have to make a decision at a certain point. We get to make the decision every single day. Like every single day we have the decision, we get to make the decision to show up. And that in and of itself is a mini experiment. And when you show up, you continue to gather information. The key is when you do gather information to not take those things personally and make it about your worth and make it about how good you are or how bad you are because the moment you make it about that then you start resisting taking even more action and gathering more information so so many great points there angela and i think with lawyers especially and i mean i know i felt this way i, I think i've reached that point you're at where i'm not taking these things personally i don't see it as a risk at all trying new things i see it as the opposite if i'm not trying something new that's a bigger risk you know the status quo is a big risk but i know for a lot of lawyers it's that fear of failure or you know their their mindset isn't quite this curiosity mindset. It's much more of a you know why should I do that mindset or what if I fail mindset. They're almost preparing themselves for the negative 
instead of instead of thinking about the positive and it's that risk taking you know i think especially these days in a digital world the cost is usually just your time you know that's the opportunity cost you can do a lot of these things pretty risk free from a monetary standpoint and on our podcast last week one of the things we were talking about is just you know try something now you know so if you're thinking about switching jobs you know try some of the things you're going to have to do at that new job to be successful try them while you're at your current job or start that podcast or do whatever that thing is because at least if you fail you know it didn't work but that's okay you know you failed when it was safer and I really love, you know, what you're talking about just in terms of being curious, small experiments. I think if we can get more lawyers thinking that way, they're going to find a lot more success uh, because failure is okay. You know, it's not as if you've invested so much time and energy into something. You'll know pretty quickly if it's not working and then you have the choice, you know, do you want to keep pursuing it or do you want to give it up and try something else? Yeah. And I, I agree with what you're saying. I also want to hold space for that fear um, because we, we, I mean, I do this too. I tend to demonize fear and uh, just kind of shove it away along with my ego. But I think that the ego is is actually a valuable asset because ego is the one that comes with fear. And the way I see the ego is our inner child, our inner wounded child. And if you think of like an actual child, let's say like a five-year-old and the five-year-old is wounded, like they they trip and fall and then they they hurt their knee they're going to come crying to you and they're going to be loud and they're going to be throwing a tantrum. Same with your ego. And so when you deal with this, this, this five-year-old who just hurt their knee and is crying and is distracting you from doing the thing that you need to do, what do you do when it's in real life? You don't tell the, the five-year-old to just shove off, go away and leave me alone. Because if you do that, the child will come back to you and be even louder. What you do instead is you try to listen, you try to hug the child and you try to get the child to feel better. And so even though you can't necessarily completely heal the wound right then and there, you're still creating space for the child to heal and to feel better and then to get back to normal. And so I think the same applies for our ego. I think that it's very easy for us to be like, oh, it's just fear, like fear is annoying. It's just our ego, it's just our inner child. Let's just get rid of it. Don't think about it. That's the weak part of me. But when we do that, what we realize is that that kind of voice that comes louder at us, maybe the next minute, maybe the next day or whatever. And so I think it's important to, to, to feel that fear and to understand the fear and also be curious about that fear. Be like, hey, like, where is this fear coming from? If you're afraid of judgment from other people, when is the last time that you felt judgment? And how did you feel about that? And how did you overcome that? Because you are able to do this. It's just you need to you need to create that space for you yourself and your fears and your feelings, because that space, you deserve that. And once you have that space, then you will realize that you deserve something even bigger. I think that's a wonderful point. And it, it speaks to your, your, your yoga training, really. And uh, this whole idea of mindfulness that by in some ways you are not identifying with the ego you're acknowledging it as a part of who you are but and, and you're giving it space for it to have its tantrum for it to cry and, and scream and yell and feel frustrated and feel angry and you know all that all that kind of stuff that is very human that's that's part of all of us and you're absolutely right i think suppressing it just creates more resistance it creates a lot more frustration and it uh, ends up playing out in different parts of um of your life, you know, I, I work with a lot of clients and they tell me that, you know, I look at a senior partner and they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s and they're, they're kind of, uh, uh, their life at home is non-existent. Uh, they have a really broken relationship with their wife or their spouse, their kids and all that kind of stuff. They've got substance abuse issues and a lot of it, I think, is them holding down this voice of that inner child, that voice of that ego or, you know, whatever you might want to call it and saying no to it, denying it. And what you're saying is something a lot more grounded in reality. It's something that's a lot more constructive, which is acknowledge the child, bring it close to you, hug the child, give it the validation and acceptance that it needs. And once you give them that, that feeling has time and space to process. And you, you find that courage, you find that voice, you find that ability to step in, to step up really, and take that next step. Yeah. But so go ahead. No, I just said yes. Okay. 
you know, I, I think the exercise you're talking about is very kind of uh, intuitive. It's very grounded in, in you know, mindfulness, the kind of buzzwords that we're seeing um, nowadays in, in, in the media. Do you find there's a lot of resistance to to this sort of uh, way of thinking, this way this way of, of really being in in the modern kind of law firm environment? Um, you know, where do you think that that law firms are right now? You know, how are they are they letting this voice come out? You know, what are lawyers like when they come to you to ask for coaching? Um, how are they dealing with it right now? What are some of the the ways that are constructive, maybe not so constructive ways that they're dealing with it? Yeah, um, you may have noticed that in in all of the all of the words that I've used today, I have not used the word mindfulness a single time, and the reason is that I, mindfulness has become a word that is a buzzword. And when we when we hear buzzwords, we immediately shut down because we feel distant from from the buzzword because we can't really personally relate to it. And so then I start talking about uh, mindfulness in a different way, like actually describing it in terms that actually we're able to relate to. And the reason I know that it relates to other people is that I first have to relate to it too. And I know that I cannot relate to the word in and of itself uh, of, of mindfulness and whatever other like wellness, lawyer wellness, stuff like that. <laughs> I just can't relate to it. And so that I don't think in those terms, I don't talk in those terms. And I really what I try to do is, is when I show up on online or in client calls or whatever, I speak with the words, not just that I use, but also the words that my audience uses. And so I bring um, my voice and my audience's voice together. And that's how I show up. And that's how I'm able to resonate with other people. And so when you ask about okay, what what are their concerns right now? What are the concerns of law firms? I think that uh, there's a lot of initiative going on and they're, they're, they are using the word mindfulness a lot. They are using the word wellness a lot. And I think that is uh, one reason that might be creating resistance because when we have events like that at firms, the turnout is very low. And so that one reason could be that like, like, I just don't, I just can't really relate to what that means. I feel like maybe I'll never be able to be mindful. Uh, wellness is not something that I really do. I work out, so I don't really need this. That's one thought that they might have, that I've heard that they have. And another thought is that, well, it's a firm event, and I know that my boss is working, so I feel like I should also be working, and so I feel like I should not go to this event. And so I think that there's a lot of resistance, um, and the turnout is low because of just sort of just the politics uh, and the nature of how law firms work. And I don't think this is anybody's fault. And so uh, when when we talk about, okay, what is the solution to this? I think it first starts with listening. Okay, so first, if you can't really relate to words like wellness and mindfulness, where do we start? Where is your struggle? What's going on? And how can we support you? I think that is the first place to start for uh, programs like that to start being become even more successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of listening. And, and I think sometimes law firms struggle uh, and lawyers struggle to listen because they know their own experience. And we're, we're all guilty of this as humans. You know, we all know our own experience and we all assume our experience must be similar to others. And, and that's often not the case, especially these days. And I think a lot of the challenges in the legal space are just a lack of understanding about, you know, mental health or how the world is changing or different expectations of younger lawyers and, you know, the people in power aren't always aware of how those other people are feeling just because they've lived such a different life. So I, I think, you know, the more we can listen, the more we can solve most of these problems. You know, most problems are just poor communication. But sometimes what the communication issue is, is no one's talking or people are talking and nobody's listening. Uh, but I want to switch gears a little bit, Angela. So, you know, one of the things you do really well, you've done it uh, on this podcast, you do it a lot on LinkedIn and, you know, other of your postings is you're vulnerable. You, you, you know, you mentioned on this podcast at the beginning how you felt as an immigrant. You alluded to bulimia. Uh, you mentioned you were underpaid to start, didn't have a great job. You know, on LinkedIn, you've got videos up there. Post, you know, you've posted of you know you dancing with your one year old and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. how are you get comfortable with being more vulnerable? You know, was it were you always like that, or is that a newer thing? And then I guess my follow up question to that is: Do you feel that being vulnerable has actually been an asset for you and something that maybe other people should embrace, or is it something that you know you don't think is that important? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll ever hear me say vulnerability is not that important. <laughs> but I think that vulnerability is something that we can all do, but we don't we should never feel the need to. And so I think that is something that we we can only do on our own terms. It's kind of like it's kind of like telling people, oh, you should go to the gym. Oh, you should you should uh, 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 eat healthier food. Like, of course, like it's it's good for you. It's good for people around you when you do make good choices or make healthy choices. But if you if you like shove celery down your throat and you just hate it and that like creates a long term, I don't know, aversion to celery, that's like eating celery at that time is actually not healthy, even though objectively speaking, it might feel healthy. Like it might be healthy, like, I don't know, just according to studies or doctors or whatever. And so when it comes to whether vulnerability is uh, a good, quote unquote, good, I think it really depends on the person and the context and where they're coming from. And so I don't think vulnerability should ever be forced. The reason oh, that. Yeah. That's yeah. such a great point. Keep going there. Yeah. And um, the reason it worked for me and the reason I decided to be vulnerable it's just when I realized how many people were able to relate to what I was saying and what I was thinking when I was working with clients one-on-one, it's like the, the, the times when I was being honest and straightforward about, about whatever my thoughts or feelings were, they were able to relate to it. And the feeling that I had as a result of that was amazing. Like the fact that I was able to facilitate a smile to their face. I was able to facilitate even a deeper conversation between us just at the individual level. And so I was like, well, if I can do that with one person, I would definitely want to do that with more people. And so I started kind of experimenting, what does vulnerability really mean for me? And how does it work for me? And so I just I just said all kinds of different things. And the reality is that not every time I'm vulnerable, like it, it works amazingly. Because for a year, um, I was I, I, I've talked about this. Uh, I don't know, at some point, at some point in history, but I, for about a year, I was struggling on LinkedIn. And there were times when I was being vulnerable. But like maybe it didn't make sense or I wasn't really using a language that really resonated with the audience. Or sometimes there's fake vulnerability where like you pretend that you are being vulnerable, but actually you're showing off. And so it, it, sometimes um, sometimes you do it wrong. You Sometimes you do vulnerability wrong, even with the right intentions. And I had to learn that the hard way, because this was not something that I was going to learn th from a textbook or coaching or YouTube videos. And so I had to go out and do that myself. Because at the end of the day, my goal was to create the impact that I could create. Because I knew that I was so lonely when I first came to the States. And the, the one thing that I knew I could have benefited from was knowing that somebody else was going through something similar. And so I wanted to be that person for anybody else who might feel that way. And I knew that was my goal. And so I knew that I had to try multiple ways before, okay, this is my groove. This is how I'm going to be vulnerable. And this is how I'm going to relate to my audience. Good point. Uh, this idea that vulnerability won't always work. I, uh, sometimes the, our modern culture glorifies that and everyone says, well, everyone's, everyone's got to be vulnerable. And you brought in that nuance that it's it's not right at all times to be like that. Um, and the idea that vulnerability involves risk, you're not going to get it right every time. Um, but it is absolutely important in, in to at least be vulnerable with yourself, to be authentic with yourself. I, I remember when I uh, when I was in business school and uh, I come from a, a Hindu background, I don't drink. Uh, and I had a really hard time admitting that to my, my, my classmates because there was a big sort of party culture within uh, business school that I went to. And it wasn't until I started to, you know, I, I felt really afraid to say it. Then I started to tell people that here's my belief, here's something that I don't do. And all of a sudden people said, oh, that's completely okay. And I was blown away. I, I, I thought that this is something I had to hide and I had to pretend that I, I, uh, I'm, I'm just with like one of the other, other guys in, in the class uh, and I could be okay. And I could speak that out loud. And I remember reading Keith Ferrazzi's excellent book, Never Read Alone. 
yeah. uh, where he talks about the importance of vulnerability as a way of forming relationships. I think quite often when I work with clients, they say that oh, I'm afraid to be vulnerable with my with my end clients. And when they do take even the slightest attempt, even the smallest risk in being a little bit more vulnerable, being a little bit more authentic, they're surprised and shocked at how much people respond back in return. I think at the end of the day, all people are looking for is real connection. And, um, and, and you know, by being vulnerable, by being authentic, you get to bring more of yourself to work and uh, you connect with people on a more deep, deeper level. So that's absolutely wonderful. But and I'm curious because you've been coaching so many people for such a long time. Uh, do you find there's a difference between males and females, between men and women when it comes to vulnerability, acceptance of vulnerability, or how others perceive vulnerability in men versus women? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I don't have the authority to speak on that as much as I'd like to. I was actually speaking to uh, another guest on my podcast yesterday. We were doing a recording and and he was talking about how um, like men might have, like there is a culture of toxic masculinity where we are afraid, where men are may, might be afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to reach out for support or just share in general. And so that is something that I have heard. I will say that in terms of specifically coaching, I have never had any male clients. I've only had female clients. And so um, I, that is something that I definitely want to learn more about, but can't speak to at this time. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, Angela, I mean, my understanding is you actually hired a coach of your own at one point. And in my case, I actually hired double um, you know, at some point last year, uh, because I realized, you know, I needed a little bit of help to, to get to the next level. What made you decide to hire someone for yourself? And do you think, you know, it's generally a good thing for a lot of people or how do they know when they need a coach? I think, I think that hiring a coach just means that you want to be world-class at what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you're not able to do something, uh, on your own because no good thing, no amazing monumental things have been uh, done by just one person. Even Thomas Edison, for example, he was not the only person who who invented the light bulb. Steve Jobs is not the only person who created the entire company. And so I think we all can use support from other people. And I think coaching is a new way, is, is relatively new way of getting that support that we're looking for. Yeah, and, there... and I think... Go ahead, go ahead, Nir. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, I think for, for lawyers, you know, I, I think it's a relatively new concept in a lot of ways. I think we used the analogy of a pilot, you know, last time or an airplane uh, on an earlier episode where lawyers sort of, you know, they take the tickets, they fly the plane, they do the baggage claim, they, they do everything. And we're so trained, you know, mentally at least, that we're supposed to be doing everything ourselves and be an expert at everything, even though the irony is we're trained in one thing and one thing only, which is theoretical legal concepts and maybe a little bit of practical stuff in law school, but you know we're not experts in all of these things. And what my experience has been is often lawyers will look to other lawyers um, for advice. You know, they'll look to their colleagues, for example. But a lot of their colleagues, you know, haven't been doing this for a long time, or they don't have the real expertise. You know, so I'm sure, for example, with you know the health training you're doing, for example, like you actually have a background in that. You've got a background in education. You've got a master's there. You know, it's 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 really different than just looking to another lawyer for advice. And I think the more lawyers look outside of their own little bubble and realize there's value to be had there, I think the better off they're going to be. In fact, pretty much everyone I know who's hired a coach, I, I don't think there's anyone I know who's who's regretted it. Uh, and I know for myself, I put it off for a while. I thought, you know, is this worth the money? Is it worth the time? What could I learn? How would they understand? But what I've come to realize, you know, it's like anything, you know, whether it's you know going to a doctor or getting, you know, expert advice. And for, for lawyers, I think sometimes they forget, you know, Clients are hiring you. You're their coach. You're their expert because the clients are smart people, but they don't have the legal expertise that you have. Yet when we want to apply that same thing to ourselves and say, wait, I don't have this expertise. Could I use some outside help? I think sometimes we just think, no, no, you know what? I don't need that. I've, I've always done it on my own. I, I can do it myself. Yes, that is exactly where I came from in the beginning. Then that's why I struggled for a year. Um, I, I, I literally was thinking to myself, oh, I went to law school. I can do this. I can do hard things. But I think the, the, the reason I had trouble was that I assumed that building a business was hard. I assumed that I had to break my back for it. And so that's what I did. And then I created very limited results. And so then when I hired a coach and when I asked for help, that's when I realized I actually don't have to break my back. 
I actually just need to just tune into what I already have. And that's going to be the thing that amplifies my business. And so coaches help you see what you need to see that you're not yet seeing. I love, I love that line, you know, helping you see what you haven't been seeing that that's such a great line. And I'm guessing along the way, there must've been a lot of times where you thought about quitting, whether it was the side projects or your, or your law job or any of those things. And I know you mentioned, you know, you, you know, you had no choice in some ways, but you know, what did you say to yourself? What did you do at those times when things weren't as good, when you weren't as successful as you are now? What did you tell yourself or how did you get yourself to keep going one more day and see if things maybe would change and get better? Yeah. Um, the time that I like, I guess like the, the answer, the generic answer that I would say that is true is that you get to make that decision every day. But the one time that I do remember, I feel like was a pivotal moment was when I was six months pregnant. And, um, it was a time when I was, I was really struggling and I had perinatal depression at the time. And I also was like, okay, I really need to, I really need to get my, cause when you are, when I got pregnant, and many, some other women who, who were pregnant and are running a business might be able to relate to this and you are on a timeline. So you feel like, okay, before I go on maternity leave, I need to get all of these things done so that it goes on autopilot while I am on leave. And so that was kind of like the pressure that I had put on myself. And so, uh, before I went on leave in March, 2020 around January, December, January, I was like, okay, I need to outsource some of this. I need to like hire something or someone in order to help me kind of achieve that autopilot uh, system that I'm looking for. And so I hired an agency to run some ads and um, it, 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 it was like the first investment that was like the largest investment that I have ever made. And so I had an argument with my husband because even though he is very supportive of everything that I do, this amount of money, like the first time it was, it was this big, really scared both of us. And it kind of like made the conversation go in a, in a, in a bad direction. And so at that time, especially like with my perinatal depression happening, I was in a, it, I was in a very tough place. And for a very split second, I felt I had a suicidal ideation at six months pregnant. And so I called the national uh, suicide prevention hotline. And the moment it reached somebody, I said, you know what? I think, I think it was just that one single moment. And um, I think I'm okay now. And so of course, like, even though the ideation had gone away, I was bawling for hours, like throughout the night. I was like, I felt so alone. I just couldn't have felt more alone because there were, there was no mentor, no coach at the time. And I was failing. And so I was really wondering, okay, should I be even doing this? Um, why am I doing this when I should really be focusing on my child and my, um, my legal work? And I kind of sat with that feeling for a while. And then and then I think the question sort of came to me. And the question was, how can I make this the best thing that ever happened to me? And of course, that question didn't come to me right away. But it's a question that I just kept thinking about. It just kind of was like, again, like this tiny little voice that that kept coming at me. And that's the question that I ask everybody now. It's like, if you are going through something really, really challenging, how is that going to make you uh, how's gonna how how can you make it the best thing that ever happened to you? And the answer for me for that particular situation was, well, if I'm able to overcome a very challenging moment like that, uh, trying to build my business as a lawyer and as a mother, then once I overcome it, that's something that I can teach other people who are in the same situation. And so, oh, okay, that's the reason I need to push through because me overcoming this is it, other people's success is dependent on my ability to overcome this. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That's a deeply personal story. And um, uh, it's, uh, uh, I think more people need to hear that um, whatever that they might be going through, they might be having their own um, uh, sort of crisis. Uh, they're not alone. A lot of people go through the exact same thing that you're kind of going through. And uh, you, you talk about this, need to find your why finding that purpose finding that passion is so critically important in wanting to recreate your career and i think something that came to me as you were describing this is to to not think of your career as a problem to solve well you know i have all of these problems how do i solve these problems but you're looking at it from the perspective of creation um what do i want to create as opposed to what do i want to solve uh, and it, it it talks about different layers that your mind is at, that your your heart is at, uh, 
when you're at the level of a problem, you're you're still stuck within that layer and you're you're getting your hands dirty and you you can't seem to get yourself out of that mud. But when you look at it from the perspective of creation, all of a sudden you you can use your creativity, you can use that inner spirit that you have to reach for something higher and uh, and climb up. And that's such a beautiful sort of metaphor that came to my mind as you were discussing this. Um, so yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things that I noticed on your website and a lot of the stuff that you write about is you help lawyers do two things. A, notice their blind spots. That's the first thing that you really help them do. You know, I wonder uh, what are some of the big blind spots that that lawyers go through that that you're seeing in your co in your coaching and consulting practice. Yeah. This one, I, I would have to say it depends, <laughs> but I'll tell you the thing that is most common, which is uh, how much their fear is getting in the way. And, um, and and let me let me elaborate on this because your what the the whole statement, your fear is getting in the way. You are the one that's getting in your way, is a statement that we all hear, and everybody says, "I know." Everybody thinks that they know how much their fear is getting in the way. But the reality is that they don't know how much it is. Because if they truly knew, then they would not be making the decisions that they're making. And so that is the biggest blind spot that I see. And that's the thing that I help them see, which is what coaches do. I can't even begin to tell you the number of times that I let fear get in the way. And sometimes still let fear get in the way. Um, you know, I started posting on LinkedIn, we'll call it a year and a half ago and have built up, I think, a decent sized audience like you have. But I mean, that stuff terrified me to start. I'm not comfortable generally posting on social media. My comfort with vulnerability is way lower than yours. It's increasing, but it's still not where I want it to be. And also just getting comfortable, you know, speaking up about issues in the legal space and taking a stand that, you know, maybe no one was really saying publicly. And then when it came to leaving, you know, the firm I was at, I had started my career there. I'd been there for, for 10 years. And, you know, I remember one time I was on a call with people and, and people kept saying to me, like, like, I'm surprised you're still there. And I remember going, I know, but I kept justifying it to myself, to my wife, to, to others, to colleagues. And, you know, those same fears when it came to, you know, starting a business or joining a boutique firm or, 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 or joining this podcast. I mean, I let fear get in the way so many times and it definitely held me back. And in hindsight, you know, I wish I had done some of these things sooner. I don't have regrets in that sense. But I have no doubt for me, you know, like I think for a lot of other lawyers, like you talked about, Angela, fear has definitely gone in the way. And I think often when things are outside your comfort zone, and maybe this is, you know, uh, more me talking, but I think it applies to a lot of other people. It's it's really tough. And I used to volunteer with this this charity, uh, working with kids, you know, like 60 year olds to 12 year olds. And uh, it's a really great program. Basically, each time, uh, you know, we run a course like once a semester. So let's say September, actually, I think even September to, to, to June even. And they their, their task is uh, to come up with a goal and to try to execute it. They get to choose their goal and they get to do it. And it's not about the outcome. It's just about the journey. And there's this great curriculum where they learn skills along the way. It's really well done. But, you know, we talk a lot with the kids about the stretch zone and the comfort zone. And, you know, going from your comfort zone where you're comfortable with everything you're doing, which is a place where you don't grow, you don't learn, but it's super safe and there's no fear. And then you've got the stretch zone, which is sort of that next step where you're not completely out of your element, but you're a little bit out of your element. And it's funny because, you know, I'd done this for years with kids and talking to them about it and completely agreed with it. But when it came to doing that for myself, you know, getting into my stretch zone, it's really easy to come up with excuses. So I guess my question for you, Angela, is, you know, what would you say to someone who's been thinking about doing something differently or taking some sort of step? But, but they keep finding ways to justify to themselves not to do it. Like, like what, what do you tell them? Yeah, I think there's three things there. I think number one is, one is finding a community. This is a, this is a James Clear quote about like uh, 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 taking on a new habit. Because I mean, building a business or doing a new project is in many ways a habit forming uh, situation. And so James Clear, who is author of Atomic Habits says, Find a group of people or a community where your desired result is the norm. And so if you are trying to build a business, if you are trying to transition your career, or if you are trying to uh, assume a leadership, leadership position in your company or firm or whatever, then join a community where that is the norm. 
Um, what are they doing? How are they doing it? And be part of the conversation. I think the second thing is to ask for help. Uh, and this is slightly different from joining a community because, I mean, I can I can really go on and on. I really haven't uh, fully responded to your question about like the benefit of having a coach. No, this is great so far. Yeah, because about because like I I've had multiple multiple coaches and even the the quote unquote bad ones they helped me somehow and so whatever result that you get from hiring a coach is your responsibility. It's never about how good or bad the coach is. And so when you show up to the coaching uh, with that, with that, with the gravity of the responsibility that you hold, then you will get the maximum amount of the coaching that you signed up for. And so find a coach, find a mentor, and don't be afraid to invest in yourself because let me be real with you. If you don't invest in yourself, what you are telling the universe is that you deserve to not have a coach. You deserve to tolerate what's going on without without being exposed to solutions that could be available for you out there. I think the third thing is to really take a look at, at yourself about like when you say, oh, I know this, I know, I know that, I know that I need to work on this, I need to, I know that I need to work on that. My question is, do you really truly, truly know it? Because there is a difference between knowing and embodying. Because Knowing just really happens in the brain, but embodying happens from head to toe and at the spiritual level. And when that's happening, when you're embodying a concept, for example, embracing fear, if you're embodying that concept, then you will be showing up as that person every single day. Absolutely. I, I think um, that distinction is so important to, to get. And you talked about something that really struck me is this idea of deservedness. You said that if you don't actually follow through on some of these steps, you're telling the universe that I don't deserve to grow. I don't des I, I deserve to just be where I am. And you know, this question of deservedness is something that comes up in, in the coaching and, and work that we do with our clients, where people feel unworthy. They ask themselves that who am I to actually get this, build up this dream practice? Who am I to build up this dream lifestyle? And what, what we're saying as coaches, you know, I think Angela, you and me, uh, we're both coaches helping lawyers, is we're saying that, well, there is no question of deservedness. If you ask for it, the, it, it will happen. And as long as you follow through on it, you have a vision and you take actions to get there, it will happen. It's not about some people are destined for it and some people aren't. It's not a question of deservedness. It's about, uh, do you have the vision for it? And if you do, then go get it. 100%. Um, do you, does that, does that come up a lot for you, this question of deservedness and how do you personally, you know, help your clients get out of that, that funk really? Yeah, I think that, I, I think the, the conversation about like, am I worthy? Do I deserve this? Doesn't come up like directly like that. They're never like, oh, am I worthy of this? <laughs> it's never like that. What happens is they tell me about their decisions and their thoughts and their feelings and their behaviors, and they don't know why that's happening. And that's when I tell them the reason that's happening, the reason you're rushing, the reason you're trying to do all this, the reason you feel inadequate, the reason you feel behind is that you feel like you are unworthy of being in the present. And when you know that you are worthy of being in the present, then you will see everything that the present has to offer. That that's really the the meta game that's being played here. It's the implicit thing that's baked into so many decisions that people that people are making. And as a coach, you're the one who shines light on it. That's the blind spot. That's the ultimate blind spot. Um, this fear that they have, the these self self doubt that they that they're kind of hearing in their mind. It's all I think rooted in this idea of deservedness. That you know, who am I to step up and actually get all these things? And um, uh, it's such a wonderful place to to sort of uh, start closing off our, our podcast here today. And I, I wonder um, what are you know we're going to ask this question to every guest that comes on here. What have been some of the biggest tools, maybe books, uh, maybe audio programs, or maybe even coaches or mentors that have uh, played a role uh, in your life that other people can check out and look up as well? 
Oh my gosh, there is there is just too much, too many to list. <laughs> How about top three? How about that? Just top three books or, or people to check out. Okay, books or people. Okay, okay. Um, Donald Miller, uh, Build Your Story Brand. It's a book that wonderful, he had. wonderful, wonderful course and a book. Yes, and that's one thing that really kind of helped me in the beginning. Um, and number two is The Prosperous Coach by Rich Litvin and somebody else. I'm sorry to the other author. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that one was also very helpful for me with like mindset. And the third is, um, oh man, oh man, Nicole de Lepera, uh, How to Do the Work. She just released this book. Um, and it really speaks to kind of about the ego and all of that stuff and doing the work. And so those top, top three books I can think of right now. That's wonderful. We'll, we'll put them up in the show notes. And uh, if you do come up with more, we'll, um, happy to put them in the show notes as well. And if people want to find you, where can they find you? And, and, you know, how can you help them, um, you know, be more authentic, do all these things that they really want to do. Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I am most active. You can also find me on my website, Angela-Han.com. And the way I help you is to, there's two steps. Number one, helping you find out exactly what you want. And number two, helping you go get it and making it easy. Amazing. Well, we're so glad that you were able to join us today, Angela. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And I'm looking forward to keep learning from you. Uh, listening to your podcast and uh, working together. So thank you so much for joining us on a weekend and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Angela. For show notes from this episode and all previous ones, go to buildyourbook.org slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe to it on Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever it is that you find your podcast from. Share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any questions you'd like us to cover, send us a message on podcast at buildyourbook.org. And if you'd like personalized coaching to help you build your book of business, go on to buildyourbook.org contact. Until next week, take care.